So now I'm going to talk about medication abortion. Um, in this era where abortion access is getting harder to get to, we want to be able to offer abortion to as many patients as possible. Um, a reminder that there are sometimes indications why medication abortion might be better for a particular patient than an aspiration abortion. When they have uterine fibroids that significantly distort the cervical canal, um, I have done abortions around a 10 centimeter cervical fibroid. They're not fun. I don't recommend them. Med-AB may be perfectly great for these patients. Congenital uterine anomalies may be harder to do an aspiration procedure, and anyone with introidal scarring related to infibulation. Um, also a reminder that asthma is not a contraindication. Not only does mesoprostol not cause bronchoconstriction, it's actually a weak bronchodilator, so great for asthma. And it's fine with multiple gestation pregnancies with the same regimen. You don't need to overdose uh, mifepristone or mesoprostol. So what is sort of the evidence around how far you can use medication abortion? There's a Cochrane review of nine studies of Med-AB from nine weeks to up to 84 days gestation. And what they looked at were the completion rates. They ranged from 78 to 95%. Completion is defined as you don't need an aspiration procedure at any point to be done with your pregnancy. Now, you may look at that rate and say, that's a really wide range. But for patients who really don't want aspiration, even if it's on the lower end of that range, patients may be very willing to take on that risk, again, with patient-centered counseling. Success rates are higher when you repeat mesoprostol dosing. I will tell you that in Beacon, as we're starting to push the gestational age limit for medication abortion, we are more commonly giving a second dose of meso three to four hours after the first to try to increase completion. Also, any kind of oral buccal sublingual dosing is better than vaginal. Adverse events are really rare. Um, increased risk of heavy bleeding is more likely, especially later, another reason for the double dosing. Um, but satisfaction and acceptability are incredibly high, especially when patients get to choose their method of terminating their pregnancy. So SFP guidelines now um, are expanded and they call for medical abortion up to 10 weeks gestation. WHO says you can use it to 12. And honestly, there is data that patients can self can actually manage medication abortion on their own, even into the second trimester with proper guidance, proper medications and access to emergency care. So even the 12 weeks is somewhat arbitrary. Um, 77 days, I think is where the NAF clinics have landed. That is currently where we are is going up to 77 days. But it's nice that during the pandemic and at times of restricting access, we're starting to expand what will be for a lot of patients, the most common way that they're gonna access abortion. Something else that happened during the pandemic was a movement towards remote follow-up. Obviously during the worst of the COVID-19 pandemic, we tried to think about how many patients we could keep out of the hospital if we could, and this seemed like a good opportunity to look at our MAB follow-ups. So you can perform, and we do, telephone follow-up at one week with a subsequent at-home urine pregnancy test four weeks after treatment. Most studies use a short series of questions that ask patients about their bleeding, about their cramping, how much or how long, whether they still feel pregnant or whether they think the pregnancy has passed. When the clinician and the patient both perceive that the pregnancy is over, they're correct 96 to 99% of the time. That's a really high rate. 
Um, and so that does not appear to indicate alone that all patients should come in for an ultrasound when most of the time, if both the clinician and the patient are on the same page, the patient is likely finished with the pregnancy. So urine pregnancy testing alone without this checklist, without this questionnaire um, is not a viable alternative yet. There are too many false positives with that or false negatives, but there are new semi-quantitative and multi-level at-home tests. These are not widely commercially available. They're also really expensive, but at least the technology does exist that appears to be accurate in identifying ongoing pregnancies, which after all is what follow-up is all about. So the last thing I want to talk about is self-managed abortions. I feel like we have heard some about this in the wake of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. We are likely to hear more about this going forward. Most, much of this is taken from SFP guidelines that were also endorsed by the Society of Maternal Fetal Medicine. So as access to legal abortion becomes more and more restricted, there's been more focus on understanding the ways that people are going to seek care outside of the healthcare system. So self-managed abortion in its entirety is any action taken to end a pregnancy outside of formal medical care. This includes self-sourcing mifepristone and or mesoprostol, consuming herbs or botanicals, um, ingesting over-the-counter medications like pain relievers, ingesting toxic substances, or using physical methods like getting hit in the abdomen. So this can involve a range of interactions with community support, the formal healthcare system, and clinicians. We know that patients use a lot of different things. There was a recent cross-sectional survey of people who had attempted this, and a smaller number than I would have hoped use mesoprostol, which is the medication that we know. More patients used another medication or drug, almost twice as many used herbals, products, and almost 20% used physical methods. So a recent qualitative study looked at people's practices and half talked about vitamin C, parsley, black cohosh. Others took medications, including pain relievers, oral contraception, and caffeine pills. So we know that there's not a lot of data Right, so data on safety and efficacy of these methods. Observational studies show lower effectiveness of these methods when compared to mifepristone and mesoprostol. And there's obviously dual concerns for patients pursuing this route. The first is direct toxicity or injury from these methods. The second is that when you use a less effective method, if your pregnancy is ongoing, if you don't recognize that it is, you may get be delayed past the point when you can actually access an abortion. So we have dual concerns about these. But now what I wanna do is pivot to talking about patients who are procuring mesoprostol plus minus mifepristone on their own. Um, this is where we're probably gonna see much more data coming out in the next few years. So how common is it? Cross-sectional data suggests that 7% of pregnancy-capable individuals in the U.S. will attempt self-managed abortion at some point. The rates appear to be higher among people experiencing barriers to care, including people with lower incomes and people in states with restrictive abortion laws. So the WHO identifies three steps that are necessary for patients to self-manage their abortion. The first is that they have to self-assess their eligibility, including how pregnant they are, and ruling out contraindications to the medications they want to use. People who self-manage their medication abortions can estimate how pregnant they are based on their period alone or a series of self-reported questions, combining information about menstrual regularity and contraception use. There are multiple pregnancy calculators available online, not just the pregnancy wheels for students and residents or attendings. Um, and studies have shown that calculators are easy to use and accurate. Additionally, pregnancy calculators are often embedded in sites that provide information on self-managed abortion with medications like this one from Aid Access. 
Um, there's also things as another self-managed abortion site and the Yuki app, um, although we know that apps are uh, troublesome these days in terms of data. Second step is that you have to be able to self you know, to procure and self-administer the medications and manage the abortion process. Unlike in some countries like Mexico, where misoprostol can be purchased from pharmacies without a prescription, people in the US, um, outside of Washington Heights in New York, where people seem to be able to get the star pill very easily, people are usually unable to access these medications easily without clinician involvement. But there are organizations and resources outside the healthcare system that are helping patients get the medications they need, and you're going to be hearing more about them in the years to come. This is the Plan C website, which provides reliable and up-to-date information on how to obtain abortion pills online. It includes groups that provide the medications, clinical services, online pharmacies without clinical support. Aid Access is another place in the prior page, which is a team of doctors, advocates, and activists who are working outside the formal healthcare system. I believe it is like a British clinician who does the intake and the pills come from India, so circumventing the FDA rules. There are multiple other resources for patients out there, hotlines, websites, videos, fact sheets, and emotional support. The last is self-assessment that abortion is complete. And again, we know that in the clinical setting, we don't have patients coming in anymore. So it begs the question of whether patients can actually self-assess on their own. And it does appear that they can. The sample protocol for self-assessment of abortion completion recommends performing a follow-up test after doing checklists of symptoms and then a home urine test four weeks after. If the first test is positive, but a patient has no signs or symptoms of ectopic pregnancy or ongoing pregnancy, they can just repeat it one week later. If the test is still positive five weeks out, the recommendation is that they seek care. So in addition to these three components, people undergoing self-managed abortion should have access to accurate information about how to use the medications, the ability to obtain quality medications, and ways to manage side effects. So maybe thinking this all just seems really tough that if you're special, if you're in a state that you can get abortion, like why would you choose this? So certainly legal restrictions are what are gonna drive a lot of people to this. But we need to talk about all the other barriers to getting abortion care in the United States. I used to talk about the statistic that prior to Dobbs, this is years ago, 80% of counties in this country did not have an abortion provider. Right? So you get places like New York City where like every train line, every subway line has access to a clinic and Boston, which has multiple providers, both hospital and otherwise, that is not the norm across the country. And so trying to navigate the distance to get an abortion is really difficult. Difficult accessing care due to cost. We do not make it easy for patients. Medicaid only covers abortion in 17 states and that may be going down. I don't think it's gonna go up in the near future. Obviously, there's a lot of privacy, autonomy, and convenience that come with self-managing your own medical care. And of course, some people who have experienced stigma and structural racism may very logically prefer to work outside the medical system for their abortion. So it's important to know that there is extensive data about how safe medication abortion is, and a lot of data recently that people can safely and effectively self-manage their abortions with medications, often even right into the second trimester if they have the right information, which at the 100,000 foot view is not surprising. Patients are incredibly resourceful and incredibly resilient, and with the right instructions and the right medication can often manage quite a lot of things. Um, even when it makes some of us nervous. So the WHO um, has given their guidelines. You have to understand the WHO 
is incredibly conservative. They are putting out guidelines for the entire world, including places that are way less resourced in the United States. And what they say is that when there's access to good information and a healthcare provider, in case you need one, the abortion process can be self-managed up to 12 weeks of gestation without direct supervision, though they admit that the data is a little bit um, more limited over 10 weeks. So even if it makes you nervous, the data is clear that the danger from self-managed abortion is legal. It's not medical. Only a handful of states currently have laws explicitly criminalizing self-managed abortion, but almost half of U.S. states have at least one law in place that could be used to prosecute people attempting or assisting with self-managed abortion. The map's a little old. There's not a more updated one. So the Massachusetts dots, I think, should go away with the recent legislation. So for those who have been targeted with criminalization for self-managed abortion, it starts with us because contact with law enforcement starts after an interaction with healthcare professionals. But to date, legal experts are unaware of any laws that require any healthcare provider anywhere to report a self-managed abortion or a patient's intention to self-manage an abortion to law enforcement authorities. In fact, just very similar to patients who are dealing with addiction and pregnancy, reporting suspicions of self-managed abortion can cause a lot of direct harm. It violates patients' rights to privacy and can keep people from seeking the care that they need. And we all know well here that implicit and explicit biases among clinicians and law enforcement both affect who gets reported and who gets prosecuted. It is people of color and people of lower financial means. So the key takeaways from this marathon sprint through changes in complex family planning, there are new contraceptive methods arriving all the time. You can talk to your local friendly CFP provider um, or check the headlines because these things do tend to make news. Even when patients can access contraception over the counter, they'll still want to come to us for screening and other issues. We don't need, we can decouple birth control as much as possible from preventative maintenance. Don't forget about EC. Think about advanced provision today for some of your patients. MedAB is safe throughout the first trimester, even when patients are managing it on their own. And keep an eye out for new GrowAgam guidelines. Dr. Dick wrote in the chat the information that you gave about ROGAM. Does it apply to ectopic pregnancies as well as spontaneous or induced abortion? To the best of my, it's interesting. People have not explicitly called out ectopic the way that they tend to do these days. Um, like when people talk about like impact and access to care, ectopic being called out a lot. Um, but my understanding is that it's any, that the, there's just the threshold by which fetal RBCs are crossing the maternal circulation is just not high enough. So I would say it's ectopics as well. And then we have a question from Dr. Candidai. Um, when you mentioned MED-ABs, do you screen for a hemoglobin or hematocrit cutoff at which you might not recommend a MED-AB for a patient due to bleeding risk? We do routine, we have been routinely checking hemoglobins if there's not one in the last few months in EPIC. And the studies only enrolled people with a hemoglobin over nine. So nine is the number in the family planning community above which we are very comfortable. Under nine, I think it's patient-centered decision-making. Obviously, if they have other risk factors, if someone has fibroids and triplets and a hemoglobin of seven, probably not going to give her an MAB, but for a healthy patient with no other risk factors who really, really wants a MedAB, if she's coming in at 8.2, I think it's patient-centered decision-making. But overall, like the answer to the test question for learners on the call, nine, uh, a hemoglobin of nine would be the cutoff and recommendations. 
uh, it is very true, Allison, that staying on birth control until age 55 may like create this incredible like transition into menopause. <laughs> um, yes, I uh, high five on that. Um, there was another question to me. The Today Sponge is currently still not available because of manufacturing problems, but they still have maintained the website for years. And that costs money too. So that makes me think that the sponge will one day return. Um, but I have no idea how long. And someone asked about the um, the development of IUDs. Did it start with camels putting rocks in their uteri to prevent pregnancy on long treks? That is something that 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 is certainly lore that family planners are taught. I actually have not like sourced the original data on that, um, but it certainly has the ring of truth. So perhaps. Uh, Padma, is your hand up? Yeah, I just wanted a quick follow-up of the anemia question. So yeah. if people are self-managing, is there like a screening in that self-screener for anemia there too? Um, I think in terms of like medical history of anemia, but they're not going to encourage you to go get a blood test. And what that is reflecting is that the rate of clinically significant hemorrhage is really low. And it's not so risky that we tell all patients that you have to go get, you know, a CBC drawn somewhere first. Um, but history of anemia, it's, you know, to be used with caution since we don't know how anemic someone may be. No, just because if people are using it a little further along than what we traditionally use it for, you know, obviously bleeding risk is a little higher as you increase in gestational age. 100%. And that's why we are certainly double dosing mesoprostol. And I, I have not looked into all these websites about how patients are instructed, but I think that repeat dose, mesoprostol, right, is incredibly cheap. It's like 50 cents a pill. So multiple doses of mesoprostol does not increase the cost of a Medi-B very much at all, um, even for patients of lower means. So I think that that is one of the ways around the like later self-managed abortion is just repeating doses of mesoprostol. Thank you so much.